This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered. We're going to have some of our favorite broadcasters on this show. And we're going to have a college coach that's going to break down a bunch of his UCLA guys, including James Caprellian. We're going to have Ted Leitner from the San Diego Padres. Teddy Ballgame, he's a legend down in San Diego. We're going to have Mike Farron from MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM and also works for the Diamondbacks. We're going to have former St. Mary's Gale and a great knuckleballer, Tom Candiotti, who does radio for the Diamondbacks. Our old pal, Mark Langston, one of the greatest San Jose State Spartans of all time. He is our greatest baseball player of all time. But, of course, uh, Mark does radio for the Angels. And then we'll talk to John Savage, the head coach of UCLA. James Caprellian made his debut. There's a lot to get into. Trevor Bauer. You had Brandon Crawford, who played for him, hit the home run off Caprellian. So a lot to talk to with John Savage. But we're going to start with Ted Leitner. Teddy Ballgames, hey, I mean, he's been doing He's done Padres, Chargers, you name it, Clippers. He's been around forever. Uh, Billy Bean is a big fan of Ted Leitner. Here is the voice of the Padres. Well, if we're going to talk San Diego sports, and a lot of people know that I grew up in San Diego, and there was not a bigger broadcaster, and to this day, there isn't a bigger broadcaster, and I don't think there will be a bigger broadcaster in San Diego than the great Ted Leitner. Ted, Teddy Ballgame, it is great to have you on the program again. How are you? I'm good, Chris. I'm good. I'm older than when we last spoke, and I've noticed that's been happening on a yearly basis, and uh, there's not a hell of a lot I can do about it, but considering the alternative, and especially in these days, I'm uh, hiding in my uh, house, and then I go do a game. I come back to the house, and I, that's what I've been doing. And before that, I did nothing during the three and a half months without baseball. And I'm just thrilled, A, to be here, and B, to be broadcasting some baseball when we thought we might not. You know, last time we had you on, you even brought up how Billy Bean has said, you know, he grew up watching you. I grew up watching you. And the fact that, you know, you're like the smartest guy ever. You could have left San Diego. You could have gone to the bigger market. You could have done. But you realized, you know what? I'm king here. It's a great city. And uh, I'm not leaving. You were very smart. I appreciate it. I really did. And I really, coming from New York, I had offers to go to New York. At, at Channel 2 and Channel 7, CBS and ABC-owned stations. But having grown up there, <laughs> I knew that's a tough place, man. Go fight for a parking place and, you know, go yell on people online and whatever else and all the weather and the aggravation. So I had a good foundation of I loved it when I was there. It was a great place to grow up, great place to learn sports in New York. But I didn't want to live there. So I thought, who the heck would leave 
San Diego and go back to the uh, go back to the real world. You know, my two favorite Billy Beans lately is that is the interview with that uh, Tom Berducci had with Billy, and he asked <laughs> he asked about do you guys uh, have a bunt sign? <laughs> and, and, and Billy said, "You know, I, I I don't know, I don't know, but if we don't, I don't care." <laughs> and they showed that again this year, just raking and raking and walk offs and walk offs. And then a big uh, a remodeling company, a big remodeling uh, convention that was held here at Petco Park. And uh, they asked if I would do the master ceremonies. And I said, "Who's your guest speaker?" And they said, "Billy Bean of the A's." And all. Oh, Brilliant, a genius, going to Hall of Fame. He's had more impact on baseball than anybody I've ever known. And then uh, I asked the, uh, the, the program chairman, what would Billy like me to say on his introduction? And, and the guy said, you don't have to introduce him. We're just playing a clip with Brad Pitt from Moneyball. And then after that's done, Billy would just walk on stage. And I thought, well, Billy, la di da <laughs> And if yeah. Brad Pitt played me, I, I'd have done the same thing. Yeah, he's going that good. There's no question about it. And, and, and Ted, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about it, you know, with the Padres hitting four grand slams, four straight days, and, and thinking about just how crazy, because when we came into the 60-game season, we thought, okay, let's just get this in. I didn't realize how historic, like the A's hit a bunch of grand slams early. Like, did you expect all this historic stuff to happen? And in no, no, I really did not. Although, see, the club has had power. Two of the last three years, they've broken their own home run record. But so many of them, way more than a majority, were, were solo home runs because we didn't have guys that could work the count and, and be on base machines like, like uh, you know, modern-day analytic guys want you to be. And so it would be, you know, guys with uh, you know, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro is a 30-home run guy for the Padres. He's going to probably be a 40-home run guy for the Rays. Now that they've traded him, but he had an on base like 282. And the Padres are not going to put up with that. They don't do that. They won't do that any more than Billy would put up with that with a guy on the A's that's not keeping the line moving by getting on base. So to me, having picked up, you know, guys like Trent Grisham from Milwaukee and Tommy Pham from, uh, from Tampa, these guys work the count. They work the count. They get on. And I think it's rubbed off on a lot of the guys that did not do that last year. So the truth of the matter is, like the other day, it's, it's two outs. And they draw back-to-back walks, an eight-pitch at bat and a nine-pitch at bat. Suddenly, the bases are loaded. Here comes Manny Machado, and I think you know what happened with the walk-off grand slam. And uh, that was the third, I guess, of the four in a row. It's a much different Padre team. I'm not saying it's as good as the Dodger team. They're not. But man, oh man, are they better? And they grind. And they had pitchers. They've had pitchers up in, in the 90 pitch count in the fourth inning because they take so many pitches and they work the count. This is a new phenomenon in San Diego for me, and I've been here with this club a long time. I can tell you, I was appalled by the treatment of Fernando Tatis and the 3-0 count. To think that at that time, seven – so think about this, Ted. Seven runs when the Rangers have two more at-bats. The A's had just erased a five-run deficit in San Francisco a couple days ahead of time. So to think that we're going to act like this game is over is a joke. And then for everybody to act like, oh, he's young, he needs to learn. I went over that. Juan Gonzalez did the exact same thing at 30. Charles Howard did the same thing at 35. Jay Buhner did the same thing at 31. Swinging 3-0, home run with their team up. 
The fact that these curmudgeons of baseball went after Fernando Tatis Jr., stop it. Absolutely stop it. What happened to this kid is a joke. Let him play. I love what he does. He's a phenom. Let him go. And I, I really do agree with you. I've always, I've always loved, though, with all the nonsense that goes on in the NBA, you know, a slam dunk and the guy's got his mouth open screaming in the other guy's face and showing him up. And NFL, every, every tackle – it's like the guy's the first man to ever make a tackle or have a sack. And I, I kind of enjoyed baseball by still having that sportsmanship unwritten rule thing in there. But it's quite obvious now that uh, in terms of marketing against those sports, that kids who've grown up with seeing all those college and football, pro football games and basketball, they like that. They think it's entertaining. So to keep the rules of baseball based on, no, 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 you don't do that, man. Don't show me up, that sort of thing. It's more important to market the game and grow the game. And that's what Tim Anderson said, you know, the shortstop with the White Sox. He said, hey, that's why they can't grow the game, because everything is, oh, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Don't, don't be yourself, don't entertain. And he just said, he said, Tatis, just tell him to sit on it. Just don't, don't apologize for anything. And that's, I think, where I'm changing, is that I like to have that, and they're very classy sportsmanship rules to not – show up a competition and so forth, but you got to make a decision. Which do you want? And if you want the growth of baseball, as I do, then let the kids play as the logo goes. And uh, I, got the guy with the most home runs in major league history on three O counts is Jim Tomey. And Jim Tomey had class and dignity and would never show up anybody. So that is a test case. But Tatis, like you said, there's nobody to apologize to. Oh, it was a couple of years ago in Minnesota at Target Field, 3-0 count, bases loaded. Gentleman Jim gripped it and ripped it against the A's. Grand slam. I'm like, why would if someone's going to give you a cookie, you might as well swing at it. And, you know, and I, and I think about Tatis is such a – he's one of these kids, when you think of like Soto and Acuna Jr. and all these different – young talents. I mean, Ted, you've been calling this game a long time. We have a lot of special kids at a very young age who are going to take our sport along with the Trouts and the Harpers and Machados. They're going to take us into the future. They have to. And and I think a lot of uh, baseball itself has made a lot of mistakes. I know they've made it for the money, but all through those decades, all those great Yankee Red Sox games and all those playoff games and so forth that were taking four hours uh, because they do grind and take so many pitches per team and, and, and so forth. But still, those games are on at night. And those games were ending at 1 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the morning in the East Coast. And kids were in bed. And that entire generation didn't get to see World Series and great playoff baseball like you and I have. And now they may not be baseball fans. So whatever they have to do now, uh, forget about that. They have to play to get kids to watch. And then that kid at 14 says, oh, this Tatis guy is so cool, man. I want to be like Fernando. That is establishing a baseball fan at 14 who's going to still be a baseball fan at 44. And baseball has to do that. It has to make sure that there are day game telecasts for the young kids to watch as we did or we listened on transistor radios in school, whatever we did back in my era. But uh, I, I, you're right. You got to let these kids play. And see, I always thought I, I love the class part. Mike Cameron told me one time when we had Mike that the day he hit the four home runs, uh, in, in Seattle, he came up later and had a 3-0 count and a pretty fat fastball that caught the plate, and Mike did not swing. And they asked him why, and he said, I just don't think, hey, four home runs, a 3-0 count, I just can't be swinging there. 
knowing full well he might have been the first, only guy ever to have five home runs in a game. But Mike said, no, that's not the way the game is played. And that's how it was back then. And I respected that. And I love that. But I think of the things we've talked about, it has to change. Yeah, I, I, I think there's no question about it. And you, you mentioned transistor radio. God, you mean like when I was a kid listening to you and Jer- Jerry Coleman back in the day? That's the thing. That's the thing. We've had these we've had these rolling blackouts here during during the game. So all these people have been tweeting pictures of themselves around the kitchen table with candles, for having broken out their old transistor radio to listen to the broadcast now on actual radios. They've been tweeting, look at me. I'm listening to an actual radio in 2020 to a baseball game. And I thought it was really cool. What? That was what? KFMB back in the day? It was KFMB back in the day. And uh, now it's an intercom station at 97.3, the fan, a sports station. And uh, I've just had, like you said, to work with Jerry Coleman, to have this longer time through so many different owners and executives. Not all of them were fans of mine, I'm sure, because I do kind of a different kind of a broadcast and uh, more into <laughs> more into storytelling and not into analytics. But I'm trying to, like I said, to, to get with the game. I think the analytics, a lot of it is very important, maybe not to the fans, certainly not to the fans, but to the players and the front office. It's very, very important. So I'm trying to get into that more and more. But I've, I've had a different style. A lot of owners and executives don't like it. But I've been lucky based on that to last into my 41st year with the Padres. So I'll take it. Yeah, because you're opinionated and you're right, and that's why they didn't like it. Let's be honest. Uh, when, 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 when I think about what we have coming up here, uh, the playoffs are different, and I love the idea of a tournament style where we're going to sure. have eight teams in the National League, eight teams in the American League. We just had Tori Lovello on, uh, manager of the Diamondbacks, and I look at the West, and I look how good the Dodgers, we know that, but then I look at the Rockies, I look at the D-backs, I look at the Padres. I think everybody in the National League West has to be excited because everybody has a shot really to get in. There's no question, and I thought the Padres had a good shot at a wild card. I mean, the Dodgers are so deep and so good. And all of a sudden, Kershaw has back-to-back terrific outings after the same old bad back things. That's that's a bad sign for the rest of the National League West because the, the young guys, you know, Dustin May and uh, Walker Bueller and, and Arias are really, really terrific. So just thinking about a wild card, I thought my Padres would be a wild card before they expanded the playoffs to the 16. So I'll be very disappointed if they're not. But uh, they had a five-game losing streak just recently last week. And now they won uh, back to one three in a row. They got the Astros coming in. But uh, I really think like, the things we talked about and, and getting on base and grinding and the starting pitching has been so, so good. We, the one thing, typical baseball, we thought, well, the one thing you have to worry about is the bullpen. It looks like the best Padre bullpen, and they've had great ones and probably the best list of closers in baseball history. And uh, now the bullpen has not been able to do what they need to do. And people think, well, you know what? They were in spring training in Arizona. And they were stretching out, and they were going every day in an exhibition game. Then they sat for three and a half months. They were throwing on the side, but it's not the same as being in a, in a game and in, in live experience in, in, in what you were doing normally. And then you come back and you have three weeks of a summer camp. You would expect the bullpen to have troubles, and many are, and the Padres are one of them. Let's end on this. In this quick season, which is just, I mean, it's going so fast. I mean, you look up for the A's. God, we only got 34 games left. Uh, what have you enjoyed so much? And what has kind of like shocked you and, and you, you've liked about such a quick season? It's interesting to me because what, what they theorize, wow, 60 games. 
that's absurd. But then you thought, no, turn it around. First of all, people are dying and, and not a very pleasant death, uh, despite what the guy in the White House thinks. It's not very pleasant and they are dying and we do not have control over it. So to be able to have a little little tunnel there, a little microcosm of, of normalcy. And, and I heard from people all through that three and a half month delay of we need baseball. We need I need I need me some baseball, man. I got to have some baseball and to have it back like this. And I know the Marlins screwed up and the Cardinals screwed up. And now the Mets have had a couple of problems uh, yesterday and their, their Yankee series is, is delayed. So I, I, I understand how much worse it was, how much worse it could be than it is now. And in the midst of all this, just to have this, hey, man, 60 game season, a sprint for a change, not a marathon. This could really be fun. That's what I'm experiencing. And, and these walk-offs and these grand slams and seeing Tatis and Manny Machado on the left side of a, of a defense. Good Lord, who's got that? Probably this side of maybe Trevor Story and Arenado at Colorado. It's just as a broadcaster. And I, hey, I've seen some very, very bad Padre teams, more bad than good through my years and decades. This is a team with, with, with spunk and, and that leadership and, and, and Tatis. And like I said, some starting pitching that's been wonderful uh, in the midst of a pandemic. I ain't got no complaints. Folks, you need to know, you talk about a broadcast legend from the standpoint of local news, play-by-play for Padres, Chargers, Clippers, San Diego State, you name it. He's done everything. And for guys like Billy Bean and myself, we grew up watching him. Ted, you're an absolute legend. It's always an honor to have you on the prog- uh, on the program. Keep doing what you do because you're the best. And uh, and and all the all the luck to you and the Padres going forward. Chris, I appreciate all those kind words. I really, really do. And when you see Billy, tell him I said hi, and I'll I'll be at Cooperstown when he's inducted, whatever that happens to be. From Ted Leitner to my man, Mark Langston, the greatest San Jose State Spartan baseball player of all time, a premier left-hander, all-star, you name it. This guy was money back in the day and now does a great job doing radio for the Angels. And we're lucky that he's still around. He had a heart attack, but uh, he's all good now. Here is Mark Langston. Well, now joining us here on Ace Cast Live, I talk about him, about him all the time. He's one of my all-time favorites. He's a four-time All-Star, a three-time AL strikeout leader, a seven-time Gold Glove Award winner, but most importantly, he's the greatest San Jose State Spartan baseball player of all time, a San Jose State Hall of Famer. The great Mark Langston is with us. Mark, how are you? And it's so good to hear from you. Chris, thanks for uh, all those nice little things you just said, and it's it's great talking with you. Always fun to chat with a former Spartan. Well, just to hear your voice after that little scare and to know you're doing baseball again, I know that means so much to you and your family. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, I had a little hiccup last year. Uh, I had V-fib September 20th in Houston, but just by the grace of God, everything lined up for me. I had uh, a couple of police officers who were literally right behind me they came in, started CPR, put a defibrillator on me. I got shocked. And then from that point on, I literally, it's really bizarre. It felt like nothing has happened. They ran all the tests and they said uh, uh, that my, everything is internally is great. They said, you have the heart of a healthy 35-year-old. It was just one of those bizarre things that they haven't been able to figure out. But I, I'm, I'm grateful for the extra time. Well, we just had Steve Sparks on when we were playing the Astros. So <laughs> to have both you guys still rocking and rolling is just really good news in the American League West. 
Yeah, well, it's back we were in Houston, and when I went down, I actually leaned against the glass where Steve Sparks was. So uh, Sparky's a very dear friend also, and, uh, you know, to hear his story, like, literally, you know, months later, uh, you know, it was really uh, a weird deal. So we've connected in many different ways, and certainly now with the heart deal. So how has it been for you, road games, calling games, I, I, I'm, I'm figuring you're there at the big A while the team's on the road and you're calling it off a monitor. Yeah, obviously it, it's a difficult scenario, but that's what it is. It's laid out. We're just grateful that baseball is back. We knew that that was kind of how it was going to get played out. It, it hasn't been as bad, you know, as you really originally think it's going to be. Is it the same? There's no way it's the same. You can't see how the trajectory of balls, how they're hit. You have to pick everything up on the monitor. So there's some little things that, that don't sync up, uh, but it is what it is. And, again, just to be able to have baseball back here in 2020 is the main focus. So uh, we're grateful for that. Obviously, when the team comes home, we go right to our normal spot up in the booth. So uh, that doesn't change. But uh, the road, it's different, but we we figured it out. You know, one thing that bothered me early on is when everybody tried to talk about, oh, it's a shortened season, it's going to be an asterisk, and, you know, why not just do a bunch of crazy stuff? It doesn't matter anyway. And the more we get involved in this, when you think as a player going through a pandemic, when you think about all the things that players are going, going through right now, when you think about how it's going to be a 16 team tournament to win the world series. I truly believe when it's all said and done because of how hard this is, this is going to be one of the toughest, if not the toughest world series to have ever been won in baseball history. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that you just talked about that are completely true and to not even have, not have the fans in the stands and these players are so used to having that energy from the fans. You know it at the Coliseum. There may not be a lot of people there at the Coliseum, but they are passionate. The most, To me, I think they're the most passionate fans in baseball. That helps players. That pushes players to not have that and to go through all of that. Obviously, the protocol, they're not used to the same routine. As you well know, baseball players, they are all about the routine and staying in the same routine. It has been disrupted. But they understand that. They've all been talking about it. Some guys have had a harder, harder time staying in the protocol than others, and it's cost, it's cost their team. But, uh, you, you know, I agree with you. It's going to be a difficult path. Once you get to the postseason, and it's obviously with the eight teams involved in each league, uh, it, it's, it's, then it's a different scenario. You could have the best record and be the number one seed. You're playing the number eight seed. And the number eight seed, by the way, is probably a really good team that can fire at you in a best of three series. There's so many little things that can play out on this. Uh, it's going to be exciting. I think the postseason is going to be very exciting when you get to that part. But certainly it's a, it's a difficult scenario for the players this year. I think they have finally got to the point. We're starting to see it now where players, you're, you're starting to see baseball kind of come back. To me, the first 10 days or so or 12 days it looked like an extended spring training there was a lot of things that were going on a lot of bad swings we've seen it with us you haven't seen it because the a's have been on fire but we've seen it from our end we we've just seen a lot of swings that were the timing has been off and just the pitching has been off but uh 
So that is starting. I think that's going to start playing out once these guys start to get the reps once again. You know, I think about some teams that you were on that maybe they weren't great teams, but you had three legit starters, you know, in a 16 team playoff format, you know, like some of the angel teams you were back, but you were on back in the day. I mean, you got to win three games. You had three pretty good pitchers. You would add a puncher's chance. No question about it. And, and that's, as you well know, as we've seen it in the postseason, pitching dominates. We, we saw it last year between, obviously, the Astros and the Nationals. Both those teams are really uh, pitching heavy. They had good offenses, but pitching side of it really dominated the postseason. If you could get that, and if you have that, uh, it, it definitely is going to make that bold statement because you might be able to match up with that. And if, you, if the two teams can go toe-to-toe with their starters, then it's going to jump to the bullpens, and then that that's going to be the big play. And and I look at the bullpens right now. I look at the Oakland A's coming into that game last night through that nine-game win streak, the best bullpen by far. They have really dialed it in right out of the gate. Uh, so, I mean, it's going to play out almost as normal, but obviously in a, a real short format, especially the three, things can turn quickly. If you lose that first game, you're in the number one seed. You're in an elimination game the next day. I know. I love it. I think, you know, tournaments have been, they've been successful. I mean, look at the NFL, look at the NBA, look at hockey, look at college basketball, college football. I know old school baseball people don't like it, but I think once they truly see it, people, Americans love, Mark, they love tournaments. Yeah, they certainly do. I, I mean, you're right. You, you, the tournaments you just talked about, you get fired up and you can't wait for those to happen. And even if you go back to our days of playing in the youth, when you played in any tournament, it was so exciting to be part of it. Certainly, I think the baseball players are going to buy into this all the way. And, and again, with the shortened season, I do like, let's do throw a couple of new little wrinkles into the game that you've been thinking about. Let's just kind of try them out. So this is one of them. They've always been talking about expanding the postseason. This is the opportunity that they can do it. And let's just see how it plays out at the end. If it doesn't go well, you can easily go back where you were before. If there, if it does seem to have create the interest that they're looking for, maybe it sticks. You know, you got that guy in center field who's having a nice little career and his uh, wife has a baby and he comes <laughs> back and the first at bat hits a home run and keeps hitting home runs. And last night, two more home runs. He already has 37 career home runs against the A's alone. I mean, Mark, I, I, I it's so you watch him play and he's got that short kind of uppercut stroke, like a left-hander. He's kind of got like a left-hander swing and a right-hander's body where he likes that ball down, down and in. I just, this guy, he just kills the A's. but you, how do you not love watching him play? I mean, he's truly one of the greatest players I've ever, you played with hall of famers. You played against hall of famers. Like, like where do you rate him? You know, you always try to compare people or always people try to compare Mike Trout to those people. The only guy that I've ever been able to compare him with is Ken Griffey Jr. And I saw Jr. his very first A.B. I was in Seattle when he first came up uh, with the Mariners. So I was able to see Jr. at the beginning of his career, obviously facing him in the prime of his career and then seeing the, the towards the end of his career. Jr. was, to me, the one of the most talented players I had ever been around. There was just nothing that he couldn't do. It made him look like he was playing wiffle ball in his garage. It was looked just that easy to him. 
It's the same thing with Mike Trout. We watched this game last night. What do they need? They need they need offense. They need their big boys to step up. And Trout's been since he's had the baby, three sixty seven average, six home runs and ten RBIs, and that's just in one week's work right there for Mike Trout. So he he's been carrying the load, but he needed help. And that game, you know, was an unbelievable game last night for the from an Angels perspective, being down by five runs and having to work their way back into it. And it, oh, by the way, the game gets tied. Your superstar comes up and says, this game is no longer tied and goes deep. So it, it is such a thrill to be able to watch this guy. He does everything that you ever could want from your superstar. I always tell people, close your eyes. What does the superstar in your mind look like? It's Mike Trout's face should pop up because their ground ball to short. He will run harder than anybody in baseball down to first base on a routine ground ball. He gives you everything that you possibly could want in sitting watching a game of baseball. I'll never forget a couple of years ago, I saw you down there at the Big A, and I was going over the list of all the promos that they were giving away in the stadium. And it's like Mike Trout hat night, Mike Trout beach towel, Mike <laughs> Trout barbecue set. Mike Trout. Yep. I mean, it, it is what it is. He's the best player in the game. And uh, I mean, he ends today, he's a Hall of Famer, no question. You know, another guy that we've talked about, and he fascinates me is Otani because he's just so talented. I could see him pitching in the All-Star game and hitting in the All-Star game. And it's amazing to me, too. 2018, he, he hurts the elbow, continues to hit, successful. We saw him last night take Lou Trevino deep. But long term, we know he can hit. He's got speed. He's got power. He's a great athlete. But I'm going to throw it to you long term. Is he a starter? Do you need to make him a bullpen guy so he can play every day? What do you do with Otani long term? You know, we're still the, the we still have to wait and see from a future standpoint. You're right; he electrified the world coming over here. I never thought he would be able to do both. I always thought the pitching side of it would stick with him because when you throw a hundred and you have a nasty split, good chances you're going to be successful. And he was in that regard. I always thought he would struggle from the offensive standpoint because of how hard that is. And, and I know from a pitching standpoint, being a, an ex-major league pitcher, what that takes to get yourself ready for a start and all the preparation that's involved and to know that he takes that hat off and then puts the offensive hat on and the same field, the preparation it takes to get yourself ready on a nightly basis on the guys you face. He is, he is really a freak of nature in so many ways from the standpoint uh, – He's, he's able to do it, um, and, and the preparation side of it, you won't outwork that guy in any aspect. He is a baseball junkie. He lives it 24-7. That's his life. This is He spends every moment studying and preparing and getting ready for whatever the day calls for. From the pitching standpoint, I, I think this was a, a weird year for him because He's coming back from Tommy John's surgery. He didn't really get what you need, and that's the rehab start to really lay that base down. He was not going to be ready at the start of the season back in March, so he was really going to probably make his appearance in maybe June. So, But he never, to me, had that base. He really uh, didn't have it. You saw the game against the, the A's. He was, it looked like a guy that was rusty that hadn't been out there on the field. His second start, we saw the velocity kick back up, but he had a 42-pitch inning, and that took it out on his elbow. To me, put him he's not going to pitch again here in 2020. Let's him go to spring training, lay down the proper foundation, 
uh, and we'll see how that plays out. Because if he can do both, I think he's probably the one guy that can do both because, again, the way he, his mind is able to separate things and the preparation and the work that this guy puts in to do this. We'll see. Hopefully in 2021, he'll get a chance to start again. If he has any arm issues from that point, I think they, that that will be over. But to me, he's a rotation piece. I don't know how you could ever work him being in the bullpen just from the standpoint if he's in the lineup and you need him to get ready. I don't know how that plays out. I don't know. It, it's not like you, stadiums are like the Coliseum where you could just run down and get loose in the bullpen. <laughs> it's right there. Everybody else's bullpens are out way out in the outfield so far away from the dugout. So it's a more difficult task, I think, to – to get him ready if you want him in the lineup and then maybe come in for an inning. That's the difficult deal. I don't know how that could play out. But uh, any way you look at it, the guy is a he's, – he's just blown me away what he's capable of doing. Uh, and certainly last night, Trevino, who's, you know, such a good pitcher, and he just, he just went down and got it. He is that kind of player. Uh, and it just amazes me of all the little things that he's capable of doing. Let's end on this. I'm really happy for Dylan Bundy because you've been in that spot where you're on a bad team and maybe the franchise, I mean, they're not trying to win in Baltimore. I mean, and and you're giving up all those home runs. You're in a bandbox. It's a juice ball. And you know, you're better than that. And now he's with the angels, no matter what the record is, the angels are always trying to win. And he's gotten out to a good start at two and one with a 2.08 ERA. How happy are you for him, for a guy like this, that, 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 you know, he's going to go out and battle for you. He's just in a better situation. Yeah. I think that's what the angels were hoping for when they made this deal. And we've seen it. I've seen it a million times. Guys will put a different uniform on. And for some reason it'll click. Certainly getting out of the AL East helps. Those are small ballparks. That whole division is small parks, not just Camden Yards. The entire division has small hitter-friendly ballparks. Come to the AL West. This is a pitcher-friendly league out here. All these ballparks, whether it's Seattle, your place, the, the Big A is a big ballpark. So it's, it plays more for the pitchers. He's a fly ball pitcher. And now you've got a little more real estate to work with. Uh, it, it's been fun to watch this guy. And, and Angleton Simmons said it after his first start. And we all kind of went, huh? He said, hey, this is kind of like sitting behind, playing behind Greg Maddox. And we all kind of went, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? And now <laughs> I've seen his, his three starts. And I get what Simmons is saying. This guy attacks the strike zone, stays away from the middle of the plate. When you're looking for that fastball on the outside part of the plate, you get the changeup. When you're sitting on the changeup, you'll get a little two-seamer in off the, on your hands. He just knows how to pitch. And that's what we've seen the first three starts for him. He's a guy that knows how to locate. He knows how to read swings from players to know, okay, this guy's going to be vulnerable a little farther off that outside part of the plate. He'll give you something that looks appealing. By the time you go after it, it's going to be off the barrel of the bat. The first three starts, he's been really, I think, the, the Angels have to be so happy with what they have seen from Dylan Bundy. He's the greatest San Jose State Spartan baseball player of all time and, of course, broadcaster for the Angels and what an illustrious career he had in the big leagues. Always great to have you on, and more than ever, so great to hear your voice. Continued great health, and we'll catch up with you later in the season. 
You got it anytime, Chris. Always great talking with you. I, I enjoy our conversations, whether it's on the air or off the air. From one good pitcher to another, Tom Candiotti and that knuckleball was so tough for so many years. The pride of St. Mary's. He's a gale, but now he calls games for the Diamondbacks. Here is the knuckleballer. Tom, how are you? It's been a while. Man, I'm doing great. How's everything going? I was thinking the last time I interviewed you was back when you were with the A's. It would have been late 90s, the Bay Bridge series. And I remember it was in Old Candlestick Park and how bad the visiting clubhouse was back in the day. So it has been a while. How's life treating you? Oh, man. You know what? That was a miserable place to play. It really was. And even the days where I played with the Dodgers, going into Candlestick and just the stuff that you would hear there, it was just ridiculous. So I'm uh, I'm actually that uh, glad that that stadium is no longer. <laughs> oh, my God. It was the coldest place on planet Earth, and it didn't matter. I mean, it was absolutely freezing cold summertime. But I got to think, the knuckleball in the wind, did it help or did it hurt? You know what? It made the ball move like crazy, and sometimes – that's not a help because <laughs> you know, then the umpire can't call it. The hitter's not going to hit it and the catcher's not going to catch it. <laughs> so some of, some of it ends up being counterproductive, but you know, I had a game in candlestick that was, that was funny. And, and, uh, and actually Barry waited for me after the game was over and uh, where the, uh, you know, where all the players come out and uh, he was standing there with my mom and he goes, okay, that was the most ridiculous knuckleball I have ever seen. <laughs> so I said, well, that's a candlestick. It's not like that everywhere else. I wish it was. But uh, but no, it's a lot different now. You know, even at o the Oakland Coliseum, that has a chance, or I guess the O.co now, I mean, that has a chance to, you know, that wind, you can actually feel the wind as a player in there, a lot like candlestick was, not near as bad but you still feel it when you're down on the field. So it's a very fun atmosphere, and especially when there's you know a lot of people in the stands there. It, it's really a cool stadium. You know, Tom House, a longtime pitching coach for, for years, was like Nolan Ryan's guy with the Texas Rangers, said that you were the 20th pitcher in Major League history to throw the knuckleball on a full-time basis. And I look back now, the Necro brothers, and I just think of all these different guys that threw the knuckleball and the and the less stress on the arm. Why do we not see it today? And especially in a time when we need people to eat up innings, you guys, we've talked to Steve Sparks about this, Sparksy with the Astros now on the broadcast team. I mean, you guys have the ability to eat up a ton of innings. Yeah, you know, I remember exactly when Tom House came up to me. He was a pitching coach for the Rangers at the time, and he just walked over. I'm throwing a bullpen, and uh, and I knew him from right before I'd signed because the Rangers were actually thinking of signing me at one point when I was a minor league free agent. And uh, so I got to know Tom a little bit, and he said, just congratulations. I go, what are you talking about? And he goes, you have now are, have become the 20th pitcher in the history of baseball to throw the knuckleball for five years or more. And I said, oh, okay. And he goes, no, he goes, really? You think about that, and it's really something. And then as we talk later on, he goes, he goes wait till you get to 10 years in, and you're going to see that, 
that shrink even farther because there's been a lot of knuckleball wannabe pitchers, I guess that's the right word, that have tried it. It's been all right for a year or two, but, you know, they just don't have the lasting power, you know, and, and a lot of it is, is, you know, those, those kind of guys have, they still every once in a while kind of come, but they, they go real fast. But uh, it's the guys like Charlie Huff and Necros and, uh, you know, Wilbur, Wilbur Wood. Uh, those are the guys that really stayed and had that, uh, that lasting power. Oh, Charlie Huff, the first ever pitcher for the Florida Marlins. I remember smoking a cigarette in, in the bullpen, warming, warming up the good old days of, of baseball. Oh, man. And, I, I, at what point, and I know we'll get into Diamondbacks A's, but it's always fascinating to me. Like, it, it's so hard to catch. Catchers, it's just a nightmare. Pitcher, you know, for the hitters, it's just a nightmare. It's such a great pitch. When did you learn it, and when did you go, you know what, I'm all in? Yeah, okay, it's a strange story. You know, I always threw it since I was a kid. You know, I the same story that that really that uh, Phil Necro had. He would just wait for his dad to come home from work, and I'd be standing on the front lawn just like him with, with two gloves, and he'd get back from his carpool, and before he could even get in the house, he had to play catch with me. And uh, so he had a knuckleball he would throw, and, so I tried to obviously copy that, but, you know, I couldn't get, you know, my knuckles on the ball like him. I was just a little kid. And so I started trying to put my fingernails into it. Well, lo and behold, that was the correct way really to throw a knuckleball. And uh, it just kind of developed. I threw it sparingly through high school, you know, sparingly through college. And even I got to the major leagues without, you know, really not being a knuckleball pitcher, just a regular pitcher. But then I was the guy that was going up and down all the time. You know, my stuff wasn't quite good enough, so I needed that extra pitch. I went to winter ball, and uh, Art Howe was my manager, and my teammate was Billy Bean. And so it's just pretty funny. And I worked on the knuckleball and then signed as a minor league free agent with the Indians. They gave me a chance, and I completed 17 games that year through like 250-some innings. So um, it's too bad nowadays with all these metrics and stuff that, that everyone uses to evaluate people that, you know, you can't just develop some knuckleball pitchers because that it has a lot to do um, with successes of some teams. You know, Wakefield was really successful and really helping the Red Sox, you know, even though you know, I always think of Aaron Boone taking him deep on that one, you know, dud that he threw. But, I mean, he was really – um, really special on in getting that the Red Sox really to where they were that year. So, you know, there's a lot to it, um, you know, that I, I wish that, you know, knuckleballers could be judged by a radar gun. They can't. They can only be judged really by movement. And I don't know if they really have a gun that can really do that. So, <laughs> you know, they'd have to hit the gun on the side a few times to make sure it's working maybe. But um, it does have a lot of value. Um, you know, because you can eat up innings, you can start, you can relieve, you know, shoot, you know, Hoyt Wilhelm was even a closer. So, I mean, there's a, and you can throw virtually every day. And uh, it would be like a really effective pitcher to have, like, especially in a year like this. Well, you had a great career and you put St. Mary's baseball on the map. Obviously, you're a Bay Area kid and got a chance to play for the athletics and uh, was a special time. And, and now what we're looking at, with these two clubs right now, obviously the A's are one of the best teams in the American League, 
and Tori Lovello and the D-backs after that rough three and eight start, they've rebounded. They've got a very good ball club. We've been saying this has been a really fun series to watch because you got two really good teams going head to head. We've watched we've watched bat you know the A's beat up on bad teams, but wouldn't you say in a, in a shortened season it's good to have some some quality competition? Yeah, you know it's like you know of course I you know being a player for the A's I always follow the A's and, and the teams that I've, I've been on, but especially the A's because it's in the Bay Area you know where I'm from. And um, it's always great when you see them, you know, really doing well and which they have been. And, you know, when I watched them this year, I said, wow, you know, especially with all the stuff that's happened with the Astros, this team has got a chance. And when I saw the first two games here at uh, Chase Field, man, it just looked like like they were not the same team. And and of course, they're catching the D-backs in a real hot streak because all of a sudden, you know, these guys are starting to hit now. And, you know, they're starting to pitch, you know, because they weren't doing either one of those, you know, for the first I don't know, week and a half or so of the season. But they started. And um, so their offense is clicking. And, um, you know, so the A's, you know, they, they got them last night. And uh, this will be a very interesting game um, tonight. I'm really looking forward to it. And, and um, I'm not sure what's going to – I'm not sure what, that much about, you know, Benea right now. Um, I know he was awesome last year when he came back from his injury. And, and honestly, you know this better than me, but I've talked to Sean, and he is one of the nicest kids you will ever meet, you'll ever talk to. So he's a guy that you always want to root for. And um, plus, Bo Mel's a, a buddy, and, you know, Ryan Christensen and all those guys, you know. So, um, but it'll be an interesting, interesting game. Um, you know, it's a game that uh, obviously both teams really want to win right now. And, you know, if the D backs happen to win, you know, they're going to be like, pumping their chest out that they'd be, you know, probably one of the best teams in the American League. Yeah, well, let's end on this. The National League West has handled the American League West so far this year, and you start looking, Dodgers, Rockies, D-backs, the Padres are starting to get hot. This competition, and we only got so many so many games left in a sprint to the finish, I think the ending here, and especially the playoffs for the National League West, will be very interesting. Yeah, that's it, it is. I'm, I'm really glad you didn't say the Giants too, because I would have hung up on you. But <laughs> <laughs> my audience would have hung up on me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's great. Um, it, it's it's amazing. You know, the Dodgers are really head and heels above everybody else. But um, but we played them when when we just couldn't hit, we could pitch. I'm looking forward to the next time that uh, that the D-backs play the Dodgers. And um, even when the Astros came in town here, I mean, the D-backs really let them have it. You know, it's like, wow, this is this doesn't seem like the Astros team, you know. So um, it's it's a very interesting division. You know, I think you guys played the Rockies when they were pretty, uh, pretty hot at that time. And, and um, you know, the Padres have been up and down. So I haven't quite figured that team out yet. You know, still a young team with a couple, you know, a couple veterans in there. So I think I think they're still trying to figure themselves out. But, um, you know, I think the, uh, the D-backs are on a roll right now, and, and uh, they go after this game tonight. They go in and play the Giants, so they're hoping to get, uh, you know, have a good series there too. Tom, great stuff. Great to connect with you again. Let's do this again soon, and uh, be safe, and, and good luck to the uh, D-backs going, going, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you guys want me, just give me a buzz. Take care. All right, we'll see you.
and sticking with the D-backs theme, but we always go national with this guy. Friend of the program, Mike Farron, who is the host of the Power Alley on MLB Radio on Sirius XM and also does work around the Diamondbacks broadcast. But his show, the Power Alley, is second to none. If you've got XM, it's Channel 89. It's their morning show. It's fabulous. Here's our buddy, Mike Farron. You know, one of the greatest things about COVID-19 and being a part of this weird season is every single morning when I'm either going to play golf or I'm going to practice golf, that's my only uh, salvage to what's going on. The Power Alley gets me going, whether it's uh, XM89 or it's on my phone with the AirPods. As I was chipping this morning as you had Scott Service on, Mike, it is always great to have you on the program. And yes, I am one of your your loyal listeners. Uh, well, I know because I got a DM from you yesterday morning. We were we, so rather than talk about all the crap surrounding the. Can I say that on A's Cast? I think yeah. I can. Right, we're streaming. The, You're good. The, the like the three zero um, Tatis stuff. Like we we took the opening segment yesterday rather than that to compare Tatis to um, Soto and Acuna, right? Because they're the same age, and we got into this whole discussion. I, I knew you were listening, talking about like, okay, how does it compare to Trout, Machado, and Harper, right? And like when you look at Trout and see that his wins above replacement for his career are twice <laughs> what Harper and Machado are combined, like. It's like it's just incredible. So I noticed you pointed out right away that he's got what thirty-eight career homers against the A's. Is that it? That's it. That's it. Just thirty-eight. He's not even thirty. Just thirty-eight <laughs> career dingers. He's not going to catch the all-time guy though. So all-time in Oakland history, it's uh, he's going to catch these guys, A. Rod and Palmero at forty-three. But the all-time leader in home runs against the oh, A's. Let me guess. Let, let me guess. Let me guess. So it's somebody who had to play in the division for a long, long time. Yes. And be a really, really good hitter. You've heard and, of him. Uh, probably. And he, he's in the Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah. He's got his he own was... wing. <laughs> well, that would be, uh, well, since the move to Oakland? No, no, no. All time. Oh, all time then it's Babe Ruth. Yeah, Babe Ruth has 183. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they played at the Baker Bowl, right? Didn't the A's play at the Baker Bowl then, which is like one of the great hitters ballpark of all time? I believe it was 18 feet down the right field line. So, yeah, yeah. and he played them like every other week because there was like eight teams. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we've been doing unwritten rules for radio slash streaming. And I came up with one like, like, one unwritten rule for us is if you have a partner who's using a fake name, you yes. can't allude to the audience that, hey, this isn't really this guy's name. You can't do that. We've come up with a You actually did one to the Duke in this to where you asked him a really tough question. And I could tell that Jim was like, uh, when you just went, hey, uh, you know, Soto, Acuna or Tatis, rank him. Who'd you take? And he was like, uh. He clearly had no idea you were going there. Uh, that, no clue. That is a very um, – and when you're doing live, all of a sudden you have to sit back and you go, Jesus, how am I really going to rank these three? Well, but but so, so we do a lot of the rankings anyway, and so we've, been, we've played the game with Acuna and Soto. 
And rather than go down the road, which was on our, we have great producers and our producer Hunter put together a rundown talking about the three O stuff because everybody seemed to be talking about it. And I am tired of talking about those things. I think one of the ways that we can get away from talking about the unwritten rules is if we just ignore the fact that there are supposedly these unwritten rules, why do we need to amplify it? Why do we need two days of Twitter discourse on stuff that's bull roar? So, so I took it in another direction and Jim is really good at handling that. I knew where he was going to go with it, or at least I had a feel of it. We've worked together for almost a decade because it, you're always going to value the middle infielder who does all the things that the corner outfielders do best. And so, you know, then you get a chance to kind of delve into the stats and double check your work. And, and so I, I was, I don't think I would have done it if I had, if it had been completely out of bounds, but I think with something like that, he knew where he was going to go. He just wasn't expecting me to ask him right at that minute. So about a week and a half ago, and this is what I love because now that we don't have program directors and we have to deal with these jackasses, you know, they always hate when, when you don't, don't say that. I like track. my program director. He used to be my producer. They don't get off track. Don't take the, don't take the car off the track. You guys started a show like a week and a half ago yeah. that it got so off the rails so fast. I was rolling. I was driving down the road, heading to the course, absolutely rolling going, you know what? That is funny. Whether you call it satellite, terrestrial streaming, whatever. That was funny stuff. Thank you. I mean, I, I think we do get off the rails and we get off track for the a, a lot of times, but we're just trying to have fun. I mean, it's one, it's just radio. Two, it's just baseball. And three, like, man, like, don't we just need to laugh at this point? I mean, like every time we turn around to something else that's just like gets us, it's eye-rollingly horrible, right? So let's just have some fun and relax a little bit. And Jim is really, Jim is really great as a, a radio partner at go at following down the path of where you want to go. And we have, we have, as I mentioned, one of our producers, Hunter is, is really great at being organized. And our other one, Brady is really funny. And he's kind of our third man in and man, like we, we can have a really good time. And I mean, this is supposed to be fun. I mean, I think one of the arguments, well, I don't agree with everything that Trevor Bauer says, but one of the things that Trevor Bauer talks about is baseball announcers don't always sound like they love baseball. We love baseball, but we also know what baseball place is. It's entertainment, right? Like we should sound like we're having fun talking about baseball because you know what they're doing? They're paying us to talk about baseball. When A-Rod says something ridiculous, like Bogart's endeavors are the guys that you want to count on when the bacon is on the table. Like we need to have fun with that because yeah. that's ridiculous. Like God, like I know like it's a great malaprop and it's very Jerry Coleman-esque, but like at the same time, like that's fun. It's it's just baseball in the end. This is supposed to be a good time. Where uh, A-Rod says Devers is better than Chapman defensively, and Matt Bethurston <laughs> has to check him going, uh, you know about the guy in Oakland. By the way, behind well, he you. He said Devers was better, was the best defender this week, but last week he said it was Urshela. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is not true because I don't know if you know this, but Matt Chapman is the best. In, like, if you want to argue with me on Arenado, okay. Even if you want to play a legacy game with Machado a little bit, Machado, like the catch Machado made yesterday was pretty ridiculous. You see that one down the right field line. Yeah. I know that's not where a third baseman generally plays, but like those are the guys that you would consider in the team photo. And then there's everybody else, right? Like that's if you want to challenge on Matt Chapman, at least challenge with one of the guys who's really, really good at it. You know, to me, it's Chapman, but it's not that like Arenado is not very far behind him. I see a lot of Arenado. Arenado is ridiculous. Like his reaction times are like unbelievable. 
So, like, if you want to argue that one, that's a great argument. But don't give me Raphael Devers as the – Raphael Devers isn't even the best third baseman on the left side of their infield. Bogarts is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bacon on the table. Thank you, A-Rod. Oh, uh, you know, this series, you know, we talked to Tori before – what did we talk to him, two days ago? Or, oh, God, am I – when went – Cody, when did we talk to Tori Lavella? Was that yesterday or the day? These we, day, COVID days are all running together. Uh, we talked to him on Monday. Days you didn't leave the house. When was it? Uh, Monday afternoon. All right, so we talked to him Monday, and it was like, and I'm looking at the first 11 games versus the last 11 mm-hmm. games, and then I watch him take it to the A's the last two days, and I've got to tell you, the two teams that I've been the most impressed with that I have seen live now from the National League West, you guys. And I've been very impressed with the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, I I think – so if you had seen the Diamondbacks in the first two weeks of the season, you probably would not have felt that way. I mean, it was a pretty miserable start. I mean, they, they were hitting well under 200 as a team. And the starting pitching was – Really, really bad. I mean, Bumgarner was struggling. Robbie Ray wasn't getting out of the fourth inning. Luke Weaver, you know, had his longest start of the year yesterday. So, like, they really weren't – like, their best starters were Merrill Kelly and after his first go-round, Zach Allen. And you got to see Pete – Zach Allen is really good. Like, objectively, that guy is really good. So, they had a couple of good ones. Now they're starting to get that back in line. And the offense is starting to swing the bat better. They swung the bat well against Houston. They struggled in the weekend series against – San Diego, you know, two weekends ago, but part of that was because Denelson Lamette had unbelievable stuff. And yeah, I don't think you've seen Lamette yet this year, but he's crazy good. I mean, it's like 98 with a wipeout slider and he's filling up the strike zone now. Um, and Zach Davies pitched a really good game where he was dotting everything at the bottom of the zone. So what are you going to do? And then you go to Colorado, take advantage of their bullpen a little bit, take advantage of good hitting come home and they've continued to swing the bats well as they swept San Diego and then won the the first two in this home and home against the A's. So things have started to turn a little bit. They felt like this was going to be a playoff team coming into the season um, and they're playing much more like it now. They need to continue. The rotation needs to continue to pitch well this turn through as well. 90 runs in 13 games and it's not like the A's where it's it's the three true outcomes. When they hit home runs, they score runs. You guys are getting them in bunches without home runs and hitting with runners in scoring position. It's uh, It's been very impressive. You know, one guy that obviously up here people are going to be interested in is Madison Bumgarner, 0-3 with the high ERA. Sure. A lot of money on that contract. Velocity is down. The velocity has been going down over the years. I'm not going to say buyer's remorse yet, but I can't think people in the Valley of the Sun are thrilled with the start. Well, you know, what's so weird about it is he came out in his first spring training start in March and was like, or on February, I guess at that point, was like 91, 92. So for him to be averaging, what, 88.7 or whatever it is, or 89 miles an hour on his fastball now in August is really weird. And he didn't get hurt. I don't think he had the best facilities available to him in rural North Carolina where he lives during the shutdown. So I'm sure he was probably doing more arm maintenance, the buildup. But 
you're right. It hasn't been great. Now that said, the first outing, he was basically one pitch away. If he, if he buries a slider instead of hanging one to Eric Cosmer, he's out of it with six shutout innings in his debut. He pitched pretty well against his Texas in his second start. His third one wasn't good. His fourth one, he was hurt and trying to gut through. And so we'll see what happens. He apparently was, you know, the velocity wasn't back into the nineties or the low nineties, like it was in spring training in his um, simulated game on Monday, but the ball was coming out significantly better. And I think, you know, there's a good chance that you see him this next turn through the rotation come back in, and it's going to be about command for him. It's going to be how he locates the the fastball, how he's able to use his cutter and it and his curve and change up a little bit more off of that. And we'll see. I think he should get a mu- little bit of a mulligan through his first four starts because I don't, you know, I think he was trying to gut through some stuff, and I think he's still trying to figure it out. But I think you know this little break is. Um, is giving him an opportunity to reset a little bit. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see a much more competitive pitcher come out when he gets activated from the IL. Listen to your guys' show. Trading deadline is just right around the corner. You guys don't see really any big names mm-hmm. uh, being dealt, just maybe some young players. I, I And it's really tough to see a young player for young player trade you know like what the diamondbacks did last year with the marlins and the zach gallon for jazz chisholm deal just doesn't happen very often so i'm sure you're going to see some relievers moved because relievers always get moved you may see some starters get moved but i would think that they're low-cost guys that are uh you know on the end of their contract you know like think like taiwan walker in seattle like that kind of guy i don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of activity because i don't think teams have I mean, first and foremost, I don't think teams have the money that they're willing to spend on payroll, especially with uncertainty of what 2021 is going to look like to be able to commit dollars. And I don't know that they necessarily feel like they have dollars to commit this year based on on the fact that they haven't been able to have fans in the stands. And so I think you know whether we can debate whether or not, you know, owners are forthright in their books or not, but that's going to be the reality of the situation that is, as it, um, you know, as it approaches the trade deadline and why I think it's going to be really, really quiet for the most part. It's, I think it's going to be, you know, better hope you have most of your depth figured out now. Plus, like we're probably only looking at a handful of legit sellers. I mean, we're, we're taking eight teams in each league, right? And so, you know, if you're within a couple of games on August 31st, are you really going to be selling away stuff if you feel like you could sneak into the eighth spot? You know, Kansas City's not going to do that. Detroit's really probably not going to do that. And their best chip, Matthew Boyd, hasn't pitched all that well. You know, maybe Boston or Seattle has somebody that they move. Maybe Pittsburgh does. Maybe San Francisco does. But like, there's not a whole lot of sexy names on any of those rosters either that make you go, man, I really want to get that guy at the deadline. So I think it, I think it has a chance to be a, a very, very slow trade deadline. So we know baseball is looking into a bubble, and it's starting to come out right now that it looks like the NFL could now be starting to look at a bubble. And it kind of takes me back to something that you guys – that I think you said briefly this morning – and I thought was very interesting is unless there is a treatment, we can pretty much guarantee there won't be a vaccine available by the time baseball starts next year. So it's all really about a treatment. We got a lot of a lot of smart people here in the Bay Area working on it. And a lot of people around the world are working on it. They got a schedule out for 2021. I don't know if we're playing. And you mentioned this this morning. I, I don't know if we're playing this schedule that they're talking about. We could be back into a bubble next year or 
something that we're seeing right now. The West plays the West. The Central plays mm-hmm. the Central. The East plays the East. You know, they can talk about a 2021 schedule, but kind of what we're seeing now, which I've talked about realignment for a long time, which could be happening anyway. Now we realize this could be better for all teams anyway. This could start becoming, wouldn't you say, the new normal versus what we're even potentially seeing with the 2021 schedule. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that there are a lot of things that we could do scheduling-wise to help to modernize things and also to reduce travel. I mean, I think there are a lot of different possibilities that exist. Um, the one advantage that the 2021 schedule already has is that it is lined up regionally, west versus west, central versus central, east versus east. So they kept with the, what was supposed to be that year in the rotation rather than trying to shoehorn, you know, the National League West would have played the AL Central th- this year um, if we had had a normal schedule. So I think that that at least helps it some. But you're right. I mean, we don't, you know, like knock on wood, we get you know, sometime maybe late fall, early winter. Okay. There's a vaccine. We know it's effective. We know it's safe. Let's let's get it out there and let's get it to frontline workers and let's get it to, to um, you know, the elderly and to the people that need it the most. And then let's gradually get it to people. Well, then your best case scenario is probably sometime in second quarter next year where you're able to get it enough where people feel good about coming back to the ballpark. What does that do for the schedule next year? Do you wait until if you know that, Hey, listen, there's a very, very good chance that everybody is going to have it by the end of May. Do you wait to start your season until June or do you, and I, this is all hypothetical, right? This isn't from coming from anybody in MLB's office. This isn't coming from any conversation, but like, or does it make sense? Hey, do we, maybe we do the spring training bubble idea or create bubbles, you know, for the early part of the season, knowing that we're going to get out of it and we're going to get back to be able to have fans at some point, you know, further down the road. I think that there are a lot of options that are out there. I think it's going to take a lot of creativity to figure out what the early stages, especially of the 2021 season are going to look like. And then the other part of it is, and this comes, this is less about the virus and more about the after effects of the virus in that economically, we're not going to be walking into the same environment in 2021 that we were walking into 2020. And with the unemployment rate where it is, how much disposable income are people really going to have to go to sporting events or go to, to do entertainment? And, you know, how many of them are going to be able to, who've lost their jobs are going to be able to get jobs back, you know, immediately as soon as there's a vaccine that helps us begin to return to normal. And I think that's the other reality that baseball is trying to deal with is like, Hey, listen, like we may have lost all these revenues this year, but, but we're also going to lose a lot of them next year. And I don't think that that's crazy to think. And I think that that's probably smart to be planning for that. My hope is that they spend that time between, you know, what we hope, knock on wood, is the end of the World Series this year and the beginning of spring training next year, planning for all of those things to try and create an environment where we can get as much of a season in as possible and do it as safely as possible. I just hope that we can be in Arizona and have beers together at spring training. Oh, man, I would love that. You know, the last, the day before everything shut down or two days before everything shut down was the day we had the broadcasters dinner over at our house. So, like, that was the last group get-together we had was, like, oh, they, I think you guys split that day. But, yeah. like, Ken was here, and, like, I got a great picture of Joe Davis biting into a pork chop, like, holding on to the, the bone. Like, <laughs> we had, like, 20 broadcasters at our house, and, like, two days later, our world changed, right? So, I would like to be in a position where when we have spring training in Arizona, let's say even if it starts in June, it's 110 degrees, we have everybody in our backyard again. Let's end on this. Hard to believe when I tell you this for the A's, 
just 36 games left in the season. <laughs> this has been wild. I've been saying it's like a football season. Every game matters. I don't care how you win. Just win. Style points don't matter whatsoever. What's been your favorite part of this shortened season? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, what's been my favorite part? I, I got to say it's just something real simple. It's like just being able to have baseball back has been really great. I mean, after what was, I mean, especially as uncertain as everything was back in March and the first part of April, when we didn't know a whole lot about what was going on with this virus. And like, remember, like, remember how, how afraid we were to leave the house and how, if you got a package delivered, you would wipe it down with, with Clorox <laughs> wipes or whatever, how we yeah. couldn't buy toilet paper anywhere. Right. Like yeah. all of those things to have baseball, on to me has been the best part of the season. The first couple of weeks were sloppy as hell because nobody had any real preparation for the season. There weren't any real game competitions to ramp up, but it was great to see it. And now I think it's the fact that there's competitive games. You would get to see, you know, young players. We get to see, we get to see good baseball again, I think is great. And, you know, with the, and I get, I'm not a huge fan of the idea long-term, but for this season, I like the idea of eight teams in each league making the playoffs because it it's, um, you know, it, I think it makes things a little bit more equitable. Um, and it kind of helps to save you a little bit. If you had a really rotten start that, you know, if you're still a good team, you have a chance to get in. And so like watching teams be able to, to, you know, fight for playoff spots and fight for, playoff battles that they might not have been able to otherwise. I think that's, what's going to be really fun over the next you know six weeks or so. I'm just happy that it's back. It's, it's great to see baseball on my TV. I love baseball. So like anytime I get to watch it, I don't care at what level I love it. And the fact that we've had major league baseball back has been great. And now the knock on wood, we can just keep everybody safe for the rest of this way. And we can get all the way through the postseason. MLB Now is my favorite baseball TV show. The Power Alley is my favorite audio baseball show. I will be teeing off tomorrow at 7.50 Pacific, so I will be listening on my way to the golf course supporting my favorite show. Well, I appreciate that. One of those shows is far smarter than the others, and it's not the radio show. I've been saying that about you for years. The TV is way smarter than I am. Something called the boob tube is way smarter than me. That's true. Come on, you got a former GM on with you. You guys are spitting knowledge every morning. We have three former GMs on staff. If they were really smart, they wouldn't be former GMs. I told Brian Kenny, man, I mean, you're just putting makeup on in the morning. That's all you're doing. (laughs) All right, buddy, you be well. Have some good calls. Hopefully the athletics can get some back, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, stay safe. Good to be with you. And we're going to end with the head coach of UCLA, John Savage. This guy has had a great career. Whether he was at Reno, he was at USC, he was at UC Irvine, and then now the longtime head coach of the UCLA Bruins, one of the top programs in the country. And he has produced not only national championship, uh, he's played for the national championship in the College World Series multiple times. And his program has produced a ton of big leaguers, star players. But we had to first, before we get into all those star players, had to talk to him about James Caprellian and how happy he was for James to make his MLB debut. Here is the head coach of the UCLA Bruins. John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk a little bit about a lot of your former players who so many are in the big leagues and uh, truly one of the great jobs and one of the great baseball programs in the country, UCLA. Thank you for the time. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you having me. 
We had a little brewing on brewing crime yesterday. Your, your guy, James Caprellian, making his debut for us. What a nice kid as we've gotten in here to meet him. But his first at-bats against Brandon Crawford, also a UCLA, UCLA Bruin. It's really hot up here, and he took him deep to dead central. Yeah, he did. Uh, it was so funny. We were all excited hearing that James was going to come in the game, and and of course Brandon was coming up, and I'm like, oh, 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 God. And then uh, Brandon hits that. Yeah, I think it was a one-one count to, to left center, almost center, and uh, he hit it pretty good. Um, James. Uh, so after the game, I, I told I told Brandon, I said, hey, you need to treat that rookie a little better. He goes, welcome to the show. <laughs> and then James on the other text was telling me about the wind. He thought that Crawford got helped by the wind a little bit. So it was uh, it was kind of funny because Brandon also said, hey, I got Canning, Griffin Canning tonight over in uh, Anaheim. So uh, it was great to see those guys. And we had Tyler Heineman on the field as well. And so it was um, it was ironic that James' first at bat was was against Brandon and Brandon did what he did. What does that mean to you? And and I think about your great career and all the different phenomenal schools you've been at, Reno, USC, uh, Irvine with a terrific program, now UCLA. What is it like, whether you're the head coach, you're a coach, that, that you help touch one of these young men's lives that helps lead them to professional baseball and ultimately to play in the big leagues? Well, what does that mean to you? Well, I think, I think you hit it on the head. It doesn't matter if you're the head coach or assistant coach or, you know, any sort of person that had something to do. Maybe it was small and maybe it was big, but it was uh, just a very proud moment uh, whenever they, they make the major leagues and then they establish themselves as, as Brandon did. And of course, Jared Cole and Trevor Bauer and, and you know, a few others. And just, um, you know, it, it makes it, uh, feel uh, rewarding, I guess you would say, uh, in terms of, you know, particularly a guy like James, who's gone through a lot, you know, uh, during his amateur career and then certainly as his professional career. So uh, just a, a proud moment, uh, seeing them compete at really at the highest level. And, and uh, you know, hopefully uh, James will be in Oakland A's for uh, quite a while. You know, something that we talked to him about, and I've, you know, unfortunately talked to too many pitchers about this, is yep. trying to recover from Tommy John. I mean, and for some reason, a lot of people in the media just thought that, you know, this is, hey, you go get a new arm. It's not a big deal. Yeah, you have the surgery, and 12 months later, you're back, and you're throwing harder. And it's like, no, that's not the deal. We've now pushed it back anywhere from 14 months to 18 months. And, and like James and other pitchers that we've had, it's not always yeah. smooth sailing and it, it's really tough to go through this procedure. And I'm sure you're now seeing it and in kids at such a young age, it's alarming. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and you hit it right on the head. People think it's just a magic pill. A lot of times it's just, Hey, let's just get a new ligament and, and we'll be back in 12 months. And, and, you know, you hear of, of guys not coming back, uh, just not. And I think, you know, Dr. Ella Trash and, and, and many of those guys will tell you that it's not, you know, it's not 100% that they'll come back and they'll come back stronger. In James's case, I, I think he had surgery in, in April of 2017. And uh, it was, uh, you know, really uh, a tough, a tough one to, to take. I mean, he, he was, uh, you know, kind of climbing the, the New York Yankee chain and 
you know, they made him a first round pick uh, in, in 2015. And, and then, um, you know, he, he gets that pick, then he gets traded in July of 2017, to, which is always a blow. And, um, you know, then he hasn't done a lot really with Oakland. Um, but over the last, I guess, year, I guess you would say people are starting to see his, his potential and his health. And, you know, clearly I, I was so happy to see him yesterday. Just his health was, you know, 96, 97 with an 87 mile per hour slider. And, um, but you're right. You're, you're, you're hundred percent right. Guys don't come back all the time. So it's, there's a fear factor there. And unfortunately guys are throwing as hard as they ever have. And you're seeing more guys get hurt and uh, the ramp up time and the recovery. And there's just a lot of delicate periods in, in a, you know, in a, in a professional life that uh, you just hope that, you know, he can come back and, we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed that James stays healthy and stays on the track that he's on today. And I, and I think about him and he's been through a lot and he, he addressed losing his mother and then the surgery yeah. and everything. Just tell us what, what a strong kid we're getting here in Oakland. Oh, you're getting, you're getting a great kid. I mean, this guy understands team. He understands winning. He understands, you know, I think, you know, nature of a clubhouse. Uh, he understands family. Uh, he's very trustworthy. He's very respectful. Um, you know, he was drafted in 2015. If, so if you really do the math, it's not as, as long as people really think it is. I mean, it's 2000, it's 2020. And, you know, usually a, a first round college pitcher, it's, it's year and a half, two years, you know, maybe three years. So, yeah, there is, there has been, a, a, you know, a pushback a little bit, but, I just think you're getting a great person, uh, a guy that, uh, like I said, uh, understands things. He's been through a lot with Barb passing away in, in, in 14. And, um, you know, that was very dramatic as a young man and him growing up and him being a Bruin. And then, of course, you get the Tommy John thing. So I just think he's thankful for what he has. And, and uh, I really thought he was calm throughout the entire outing yesterday. People said, Oh, I thought he was nervous. I, I didn't see that. Um, he gave up the home run and then he lost a really tough a bat to Dubon with that walk. And then he kind of pitched like he, you know, he had pitched. Uh, so I, I just, I just think that he's uh, groomed for that and, and he's prepared. And, and like I said, he's been through a lot so that they'll make a, uh, you know, a person tougher. And so I think you're getting a, a really good competitive, you know, right-hand pitcher. You know, one of our favorite guys to bring on this program is Trevor Bauer. And he's a t yeah. he's the type of guy that, you know, you know, a lot of the athletes and the team's PR, they're like, only keep them for eight minutes and they're worried about time. I mean, oh, yeah. next, you know, you're sitting there, it's 25 minutes and we're still just rapping. I mean, he's he's so much yeah. fun to talk to. What was Trevor? And he, I love how he's outspoken, whether you agree with him yeah. or disagree with him. We've always we've always wanted our athletes to give us real opinions. And then when someone does, they go, we don't like that. I'm like, ah, stop it. The guy's got something to say. I love it. What was he like in college? Oh, he was he was fantastic. You know, he left high school early. Um, not not everybody knows that he left. He, he skipped the senior year in high school to, to come to us. And he, and he had to go to Hart High School. His, his fall, so he graduated in December. He came in January, and he was a freshman pitcher of the year by, by June. Um, and then, of course, he was a Golden Spikes Award winner uh, his junior year when Garrett Cole was the number one pick his junior year. So he, he's got to be the only 
you know, Gold Spikes Award winner ever to be at number two uh, on any staff. I mean, that that's for sure. But he was very outspoken, uh, very advanced for his age, um, mechanically and biomechanics and just visually and uh, training and, and so forth. So he was his own person, uh, but he had a, you know, he had a mature like any, like all, all of them do. And uh, he, he grew throughout his years at UCLA and, you know, clearly he's a, you know, one of the top pitchers in, in the game and uh, along with Garrett, certainly, but, uh, you know, we just always appreciated Trevor for his opinion uh, and his honesty. Um, he did have a, a great personality. Um, he wanted the team to win. He was a very, uh, you know, he led us to, uh, you know, playing the national championship game in 2010 along with Garrett. And, uh, you know, I think Trevor is really, throwing the ball extremely well this season um, as well as anybody in the league. And um, like you said, he's just, he's, he's an enjoy to talk to. He's a very, very bright guy and very opinionated guy, which gets him in trouble at times. But, um, but at, at the same time, um, he's honest and uh, we appreciate that. You know, I, I, I feel so bad for so many of these young athletes. We'll stay in baseball, but really yeah. we could go, uh, men's sport, female sports, whether it's college, high school, I just, my, my heart goes out to all these kids who didn't get their seat. I mean, your senior year of high school to not be able yeah. to play baseball, your senior or your senior year of college. And I, and I know there's like an ability for some kids to come back, but some kids are already going to move on. And as a coach, yeah. you know, people don't realize this. You only get so many scholarships and you have to break them up. And it's just, yeah. just how tough has this been for you in your career? Cause you know what a lot of people don't understand and, and, and you'll remember my old coach, Sam Perraro, is is you're an educator. You're just not a baseball coach. Your job is to educate these kids to help because not everybody's going to be Trevor Bauer. Not everybody's going to be Garrett Cole. Is these kids need to graduate because they're going to have jobs to support their family someday. So as a coach, as an educator, just how tough has this been for you? Oh, it's been extremely tough. I, I, I feel 100% exactly the same way. Just my, my heart goes out to, to all the, all the families, all the players, uh, the guys that, you know, lost that experience of their senior year in high school, senior year in college. Um, you know, you just, it, it's lost time that you just can't get back. And, um, you know, unfortunately some of them have moved on. Uh, some of the seniors, you know, in high school, you know, you know, really don't get looked at properly. Uh, they don't get evaluated the, the right way. I mean, I'm at, I'm on. I have another stream, uh, another uh, computer going right now that I'm watching the stream uh, out at Sam Manuel Stadium. Uh, you know, it's just times have changed, and evaluation has changed, and performance, and projection, and evaluation, and it's just um, really, really difficult. Not only um, on them, but on us as well. Um, you know, just trying to see as many players as you can and what type of shape are they in some of them you know didn't get really had very limited you know workout abilities during you know during the time off and some of them never never threw or shot a basket or did anything and uh regardless of the sport so it's it's just uh, you know i just feel for them because the uh like you said the teaching aspect the culture aspect they lose the the atmosphere, the culture, the, the growth development, the personal development, uh, the game development, the 
you know, the, the strength component. I mean, there's just so many things that, you know, we're going to have to grab back. I mean, we were 13 and two and top five team in the country. And, you know, we have, we're, we have to, you know, really, we have to build, rebuild that team. And, um, you know, it's just so disheartening really just for, like you said, all the, all the players that lost those years and, and just, uh, we've got to just have to keep our fingers crossed and hopefully we'll get back on the field in, uh, 2021. Yeah, and we have no idea what college sports is going to look like from conference to conference. We're hearing that certain sports are just going to be eliminated, and it's just it's really, really yeah. sad what COVID has done to college sports. It's um, I, I feel for so many people out there. You know, one thing that you can help us with, obviously being a national champion and been to the College World Series and to the regionals so many times is for the first time really in baseball, we're going to have a tournament field. We're going to have, uh, I should say, a tournament field. We're going to have 16 teams. This is going to be yeah. dramatically different from what anybody in baseball is used to. I just, ha ha I think it's going to be really, really exciting. How do you view a tournament for Major League Baseball? Oh, I think it's going to be, Awesome. I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to, you know, <laughs> it's going to expose the, the tough and it's going to expose the weak. I mean, it's just, it's just going to be so uh, magnified and all, you know, each year the playoffs certainly are. I just think that, you know, you know, depending on the, you know, is it a one game series? Is it the two best two out of three? Is it, it's just, everything is just so, dramatic and it's going to be like a, an NCAA field and people are going to get knocked off in advance and the hot team it's going to be it's all about hot teams and uh, you know a team that may not be playing so well right now could be playing well in in 40 games so it's uh, I mean look at the Nationals last season what they did through the first I mean they would never even been in the playoffs if, if they would have been in a 60 game schedule and, and they, they end up winning a, a world championship I just think it's um you know, it's just the, the, the pitching and the defense and the mistakes and the, and the, you know, the, 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 the good at bats and just the, the, the game itself is going to be affected and you're really going to see who, who can play. And um, it's just, uh, like you said, I, I'm looking forward to that excitement. I'm looking forward to that anxiety, I, I guess you would say. And, and that stress level that each game will bring that, um, you know, it, it's, um, it's, it's just ramped up. It's just, uh, it's going at a much faster pace and a faster, you know, um, uh, speed. So um, it should be a lot of fun. I just hope that everybody can stay healthy. The guys are going down left and right. And that's, that's scary, um, you know, pitching particularly. And, and I just hope that, um, you know, by the time we get to playoffs, it, you know, the best teams will, will be in the, you know, I guess sweet 16, you would call it. And, and then, then it's on, and, and then it's just a mad dash to the, to the championship. Well, I got to tell you, we're keeping our fingers crossed, and we're praying that uh, next year college baseball will be back and well to get my beloved Spartans back on the field, and, of course, uh, the Pac-12 and your great program, and just get these kids playing baseball again. I just hope that we're going to have that in 2021. And just congratulations to all the success that you've had in your career, and especially at UCLA. Uh, you run one of the great programs that we have in college baseball. So continued success. Success, stay healthy, be well, and we'd love to check in with you again sometime. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and and I, you know, it's a, it's an honor to be to be with you today, and, and it's a pleasure. And 
and just like you said, we got to keep our fingers crossed and hopefully Major League Baseball will finish this thing out and, and, and move on to next season and, and uh, really looking forward to, you know, keep on following the A's. That is going to do it for A's Unfiltered. Want to thank Ted Leitner, Mark Langston, Tom Candiotti, Mike Farron, and John Savage. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 